0: Good morning, everyone. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Well, turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 13. That's right, chapter 13, my friends. Here we are. We're finally in the last chapter of Hebrews. It's been a long journey, but the truths of God's word have been abundant in our study. You know, the first 12 chapters have been largely doctrinal. In content in content I mean if we were to sum it up we would say what Jesus is better and along the way we've been warned repeatedly as a matter of fact we just finished up the fifth and final warning section last week in regards to not uh, what happened the warning if we don't believe these key doctrinal truths and now this pattern is really uh, the same throughout the epistles for example Romans 1 through 11 is all doctrine But then we get to chapter 12, we see uh, chapter 12 through through 16, uh, how we are to apply those truths to our lives. How do we apply the doctrine that we've learned in our everyday living? We see the same thing in Colossians. Colossians 1 and 2, doctrine, doctrine, 3 and 4, how to apply that truth of the doctrine to our lives. Same thing in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, doctrine, 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 4 through 6. How to apply that doctrinal truth to our lives. So this is not unusual to see a large check a large section of doctrine and then ap- practical application of how to uh, apply that. And that's what we're going to find here in chapter 13. This final chapter is filled with the applications that we as believers are to apply to our lives based upon the doctrinal truths that we've learned in one through. 12th. Now the emphasis in this last section of the book of Hebrews is on living out our faith. Remember in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer presented the examples of faith, right? We have the hall of faith there. And these are people who endure to the end, even though they never did actually see the fulfillment of the promises of God, specifically the fulfillment of the Messiah in their lifetime. But nevertheless, they did Remain true to their confession of faith. They were true believers. They endured to the very end and stood firm in their faith, even though they never really saw the fulfillment of that. Then in chapter 12, which we just finished here, the, the writer was really presenting uh, things to encourage us in our faith, right? So we went from examples in our faith to then uh, encouragement in the faith. He reminds us. Uh, That uh, we shouldn't uh, get discouraged when God allows some form of uh, trials or tribulation in our life. That sometimes uh, those are God's testing us in the faith. Well, then when we get to Hebrews chapter 13, then we're going to see the evidences of faith. These are things that are demonstrated in the life of true believers. These are things that should appear in our lives if we are truly walking by faith, which is what Uh, we are claiming to do as believers. We are walking by faith. Now, although there are similarities in this format between the book of Hebrews and the other epistles, there are some key differences in this chapter from the previous chapters. And now let me just share with you three differences with you. Uh, And uh, the first one is that prior to chapter 13, the emphases have been on the vertical rather than the horizontal in other words our relationship with god his relationship with us it's all been about uh, jesus is better and what that means to our relationship with god for example uh, because of jesus sacrifice of himself the lamb who took away the sin of the world we now have access to god so again we see a lot of this in the first 12 chapters beginning chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 12 But here, beginning in chapter 13, the emphasis is going to be not on the vertical, but the horizontal. In other words, our person-to-person relationship, our relationship with each other, specifically as believers. Number two, in the previous chapters, there are lengthy discussions of subjects. I mean, who can forget uh, how long we're in chapter 7 in the story of Melchizedek and what that means to us and why that's important. But when you get to chapter 13, it's more, uh, instead of a, a lengthy tome, if you will, it's it's more like Proverbs where you just have a series of of statements, one right after the other, that really pierce us uh, to the heart, to get right to the heart of the matter. And then lastly, the third thing you're going to notice here is that there's just a few practical commands and warnings in the previous chapters, right? There are warnings throughout, again, we just finished the fifth one, and there are some other smaller warnings as well throughout the previous 12 chapters. But here in chapter 13, you're going to get about a dozen of these 13 very practical commands. Now the way this breaks out in chapter 13, the first six verses form the first main break in the text. Now, of course, we're not going to get through all six verses here this morning. Uh, we're only going to look at the first three. That's all we'll have time for. But in this passage, the writer of Hebrews, in verses 1 through 6, he's really going to give us four different evidences of our faith, four different characteristics that that demonstrate or prove, if you will, uh, that our confession of faith is true. These are things that true believers are doing. And the very first one we want to look at is compassion true believers demonstrate compassion And we're going to see that in the first three verses of our text here this morning well before we do of course let's go to the lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together in his word heavenly father thank you lord again uh, here we are again meeting virtually uh, and but father we are anxiously awaiting the return to be able to worship together in the body of christ I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. I thank you, Lord, for uh, the way that it pierces us to our very uh, to our very soul. Uh, Lord, how it discerns and, and uh, between our thoughts and our intentions. Lord, only your word can do that. And so, Father, now I ask that you bless our time together in your word as we look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 13. May our eyes be opened to your wonderful truth. May we not just be hearers but doers of your word. We ask in Jesus' name amen well if you've pulled up your notes uh, from the blog section online you can follow along here and uh, we want to look at verse 1 it's a short verse but it's packed full <clears throat> excuse me of truth so let's look at that let brotherly love continue that's verse 1 or keep on continuing to love one another might be another another translation that you have uh, so that brings us to our first point point. first point point number one living out our faith means that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now that I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, "Well, gee, thanks pastor, that's kind of a no-brainer." But what does he mean here? What does the author of Hebrews mean when he says, "Keep on loving your brothers and keep on loving your brother." Okay. Well, it means that we are to be deliberate. We are to be intentional in cultivating and demonstrating true Christian love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we're to live as if our fellow believers are family. We say that quite a bit at PBC. We are to love them like they are family because guess what? They are. Now, I believe this little church in Hebrew, uh, in the book of Hebrews here, has been demonstrating this love quite well. Matter of fact, we see uh, lots of commendations uh, throughout the book. For example... Uh, Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Go back just a few pages here. And uh, the author of Hebrews writes, For God is not so unjust so as to forget your work and the "The love which you have shown toward his name. How did they do that? In having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Uh, Flip forward just a couple pages. We get to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Again, verses 32 to 34. He reminds them how... In a former time of suffering, they became sharers with those who were treated and how they showed sympathy to the prisoners. So it's not like this is a new concept to them. They have been loving one another well with the love of Christ. He's exhorting them to make sure that that continues. Now, why would he do that? It could be that just um, perhaps the Hebrews were, were losing heart. Uh, you know, perhaps it is as he warned them in Hebrews ten, twenty four and 25, perhaps uh, they were becoming weary in loving one another and how demanding that can be at times. Remember, he tells them to not forsake the assembly and to continue to stir one another up in good works. Well, it is true that we should love everyone, but we are to have a particular duty to love our fellow saints. And that really is throughout the Gospels. You cannot be a Christian and uh, not be the brother or sister of anybody else who is a Christian. I mean, by default, that's why we call ourselves brothers and sisters, because we're all children of the king. And this passage is saying, listen, I want you to live and love like you know that you're actually related to these people who are sitting next to you in church. Yes, they're different from you. Yes, they come from different places and backgrounds and circumstances and their life story is different than yours. But guess what? They are family now. And you are to love them with the same kind of intensity and the same kind of love and the same kind of unconditional love that a functional family displays. Because guess what? Spiritually, these are your brothers and sisters. So we're to love all of the brethren, but especially uh, those in the family of Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But, boy, that can be hard to do sometimes, isn't it? I mean, let's just be real here. Just like family, we can get on one another's nerves sometimes, can't we? I mean, church family can get on each other's nerves. It's no different than our own, uh, our, our personal family. Our church family is no different that way. But we're to continue in love for one another, Uh, even though it's a hard thing to do because over time, right? We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to let each other down. We're going to irritate one another. We're going to disagree with one another. But here the author of Hebrews is telling these true believers, don't stop loving one another. Let that brotherly love continue on just as you have been doing. Don't lose sight of how important that is. And remember from Galatians 3, right? We are all united. There is no differentiation, right? There's, it's not slave and free or or it doesn't matter the color of your skin and it doesn't matter what your background is, right? Once you've come to faith, we are united together in Christ. Now, one of the more popular things that I hear today a lot is you have to learn to love yourself before you can love others. Can I just tell you that you know, uh, the, that, those psychological theories, unfortunately, many of which have crept into the church, uh, are found nowhere in the Bible. You do not need to learn to love yourself in order to love God and love others. There's no command in the Bible to make sure you love yourself. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Loving yourself is assumed because, listen, my friends, we all do that quite well. And if we ever love our neighbor as much as we inherently care about ourselves, we'll be obeying this, the second greatest commandment, right? Love our neighbors as ourselves. So, my friends, this, the basis for spiritual fellowship is brotherly love. That word brotherly uh, comes is a compound word, phila, which means to love like you love a sibling, and Delphos, which means brother, right? So it's brotherly love, uh, you know, like familial love. That's how we're to love one another. And a church fellowship, a church that's gathered together, that's based on anything other than the love for Christ and love for one another, simply is not going to last. If you're building your church on anything than the cornerstone of Christ, and our love for one another demonstrated in, in the, uh, the way that we minister to one another, and the way we reach out to the community as well. I mean, if the church is based on anything other than that, my friends, it, it will not last. Now, this idea of brotherly love, it just keeps recurring. It's all throughout the Bible. Let me just give you a few passages. You can jot these down on your own. Romans twelve nine and 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's our word again. Honor one another above yourselves. 1 Thessalonians four nine. Now about brotherly love. We do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22 Have sincere love for your brothers love one another deeply from where from the heart first john 4 7 beloved let us love one another for love is of god you know it's so much easier for us to talk about loving others than it is to do it i mean god's children again we're not always as lovable as we should be there's an old poem always gives me a chuckle when i read it It says to dwell above to (laughs) To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be the glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Well, what kind of love does God expect us to show towards one another? Well, he expects us to show biblical love. And biblical love is very different from the shallow, ooey, gooey kind of uh, fickle uh, type of love that the world is always talking about. Jesus Christ is our example for what God's love looks like in human life. And if you think love is always that ooey gooey, you know, oh, I'm just so in love with that person. We need to read the Gospels again because Jesus did everything in love. But he also had some tough things to say. Uh, And sometimes those things were said to those who were his disciples Jesus loved Peter when he said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's, in Mark 8. Jesus loved the scribes and the Pharisees when he called them a brood of vipers and warned them about the punishment that awaited them if they did not come to true faith. Now, I'm not suggesting you should run around and call everybody a brood of vipers and then tell them how much you love them. What I am doing is pointing out that Jesus' love was not, it was not weak. It was not just an emotional love. And that if you study his life, you're going to get a fuller picture of what biblical love means. And sometimes, my friends, that means we have to share hard truths with one another. That doesn't mean that we don't love them. It means that we do love them. And we want to be able to point them back to the word of God. Now, how we receive that, my friends, is often a different story. But we need to be mature enough in our faith that when someone is genuinely seeking to uh, correct the path, to come alongside and to help us, uh, we need to receive that uh, with open arms and in the spirit of love that it's intended. All right, point number two is our love for one another is grounded in Christ's love for us, right? (laughs) Right. because we understand how much Christ loves us, well, of course, that means then we do know what it means to love others in that same way. The love of Christ is also the example we follow. I mean, loving one's brother is, again, evidence of our faith in the Lord Jesus, of being a disciple of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, this is in the upper room here he says I give you a new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another well how do we how do we demonstrate this Christ-like love well we are to love each other graciously we are to love each other sacrificially you know biblical love may be defined as a self-sacrificing love which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one that is loved that's a description of christ's love for us on the cross he sacrificed himself because he loves us and was committed to redeem us and to bring us to glory and his commitment to us was so strong that he was willing to bear the wrath of the father in our place on that cross, that's love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My friends, it's one thing to talk about it. It's another to live it. Jesus said in Mark ten forty five, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the mindset that we need to have when we're talking about loving one another. We need to get a focus off of ourself and focus on the needs of others. You know, a true servant will sacrifice their own desires and their time and their efforts to please the one that they serve. Let me ask you, men, are you a servant leader in your family? Are you a servant leader to your wife and to your children? Women, are you a servant as well? Are you a servant unto Christ? And is that demonstrated in and through your family and your marriage? Here's one. How about when we come to church, my friends? Do we come to church simply to have our needs met? Or are we thinking about the needs, about meeting the needs of others? Do we come to church and say, I'm so thankful that God has given me this spiritual gift because there may be one in the body of Christ here today who needs that. Or are we coming to church thinking, boy, I hope the sermon is good and I hope they don't, it doesn't go too long and I, I hope that uh, the music is good and I hope that it's not too cold in there. Uh, is that what we're thinking? If we are, beloved, I encourage you to think differently about that. Here's another way. That we demonstrate our compassion and love for for others. It's selfless. Almost every relational conflict that we have with one another can be traced back to some degree of selfishness. Just read James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and here it just breaks it down for us. Here it is. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we have, what's the source of these quarrels between us? Well, it's because I didn't get my way. I want my way, I want what I want. So if you want to let love continue, as the command here is in this verse, you've got to fight your own love of self that manifests itself in selfishness. Here's the other thing we need to do. We need to love each other purposely. You know, a lot of people think that love just happens. You know, oh, it's just, oh, they're so lucky that love just happened. No, it doesn't quite work that way. The love that he's talking about here is the agape love. And again, remember the agape love is the love of the will, right? It's not much different than the uh, Philadelphia love, the philos love, right? The philos love is the familial love, but that also is self-sacrificing and a love of the will. Remember the golden rule, it's what we should be doing, Matthew 7, right? And everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law of the prophets, What would that look like? Well, if we see someone new or alone at church, do we make an effort to demonstrate Christ-like love and make them feel welcome? we got to ask ourselves, how would you feel if you were in that situation? How would you like to be treated if that were you? And then treat them like that. I think sometimes it's our selfishness that prevents us from practicing that. All right, so point number one. Living on our faith means that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love them as brothers and sisters because spiritually they are and we will be together for all eternity. So it brings us to point number two. Let's look at our text here. Verse two, do not forget to uh, entertain strangers for by doing so. Some have unwittingly entertained angels. Point number two. Living out our faith means that we demonstrate hospitality to strangers. Now, what kind of hospitality is being encouraged here? This isn't just talking about having your friends and family come over for dinner. That's not the kind of hospitality he's talking about. This isn't just our our Western way, our culture of, hey, you invited me over for dinner, now I'm going to invite you over. You know, kind of repaying our friend's invitation with an invitation of our own. That's not wrong. It's just not what this verse is talking about. It's more like what Jesus said in Luke 14, when he said in verses 13 and 14, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So the hospitality here is literally showing love to strangers, which is, again what uh, what eric has been talking about in third john right uh, actually he's in first john but uh, it's repeated again in third john chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 it's literally showing love to strangers now beginning in the book of genesis we see the importance of showing hospitality to strangers right this is not something new this is not a new command for them again this is he's encouraging them to continue to do these things, right? Continue to love one another as brothers and sisters and now continue to show hospitality to strangers. And we see this all throughout uh, the word of God, right? In the book of Genesis, Abraham welcomed three strangers in Genesis 18 when they passed uh, his way. We know that from our text, the two of these men were angels. And the third person seems to be the pre-incarnate visitation of our Lord, a theophany, a a God-appearing. All about Genesis 19, two angels continued on to Sodom, Lot greeted them, and then he did what? He he offered the same kind of hospitality that Abraham had. He seems to have known the danger that they were going to face if they were uh, going to go into that wicked place of Sodom. And no doubt our author has two incidents in mind, when he when, uh, these two incidents in mind, when he writes that showing hospi- hospitality to strangers, he writes, some have even entertained angels, Without knowing it, now I suspect there are probably other encounters as well with angels, but which we may not know about for certain until, until glory. But this seems to be what the author of Hebrews is pointing to. Now, why was this even needed? Why does he need to say this thing in the early church? Well, this would have been actually very practical advice because in the very in the first century, uh, inns were not a safe place, my friends. They were dirty they were dangerous, they were filled with all kinds of, uh, it was a seedy place, all kinds of immorality going on. You were more likely to come out of that place with uh, flea bitten, perhaps robbed, maybe even exposed to immorality because of uh, that's often where the brothels were located. And that made the hospitality of believers welcoming people into their home especially important. Now, do we do it because one of them might be an angel? I mean, should we start expecting angels on our doorstep every time uh, that we help a brother or sister in Christ? I don't think that's what our author is saying. He's not necessarily saying that we should expect literal angels every time that we show hospitality. That certainly was true in Abraham's case, right? The three wayfaring men, two were angels, the other is, is Christ himself. Rather, well, I think what he's saying is that we should imitate Abraham's example Of hospitality you and I may not entertain angels in a literal sense though it is possible but any stranger could turn out to be a messenger of blessing to us and there's a sense when we show kindness to strangers we are caring for the Lord himself and we may also like Abraham experience some unexpected blessings remember what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 25 he said I was a stranger and you took me in Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you have done it unto me. Beloved, demonstrate compassion by demonstrating our love through our hospitality. Now, is there any theological basis for this? Is there something that he just wants us to do because it's the right thing to do? Well, let us not forget that we once were strangers and aliens as well. And we've been brought near been adopted into the family of god through christ's precious blood we understand what it means to be adopted to be an orphan to be alienated to be a stranger we live still now as strangers in this world as we await our heavenly homeland right this world is not our home right we're just a passing through unless we forget Being hospitable is still a qualification for leadership in the church. And you can see that in 1 Timothy 3 and again in 1 Timothy 5. See, the Lord places an emphasis on this for all believers and especially for those in leadership in the church. This is an important area, an important concern for our Lord Jesus Christ. And likewise, because it is, it should be an important concern for us. Hospitality is is a bigger issue than I think many of us Uh, place it in our lives we often are more concerned about some other things in our life but it is all throughout the scriptures from genesis to revelation my friends and again and again and again we are commanded to demonstrate hospitality toward one another that's everyone but especially those of the household of faith now how can we do that let's just talk practically for a minute here well we could certainly be hospitable and and we uh, we do a good job at PBC, in my opinion, but we could always do more. Give a very warm welcome to those who visit our churches. Uh, we can always uh, be willing to open our home to brothers and sisters who need a place to stay. Many of you have done that over the years, many, many times, as well as Cindy and I. Uh, what a joy it is to uh, have brothers and sisters stay in your home and to see what God is doing in their lives and around the world. What a joy that is, my friends. I strongly encourage you. I can't can't encourage you enough to open up your home and really invite them in as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can also be sensitive to those in the church who perhaps need a little more hospitality than others. Maybe they don't have a lot of family around. Maybe they don't have a lot of friends and family who visit a lot. Perhaps the church is really their primary family. We need to be sensitive to that. That's one of the ways that we can demonstrate good hospitality in the church. Now, what are some of the pitfalls? What are some of the things that hold us back? Well, loving others through hospitality can be costly, right? And, and some, maybe a bit risky in the fact that well, I don't really know them, so I hope everything is okay. Uh, but we got to be aware, my friends, of things in our heart that might try to you know, spoil our attempts at hospitality, right? Let's not, let's not be complainers. Let's not grumble. Let's not allow the pride of perfectionism to limit our hospitality. Our homes don't have to be perfect. We just need to be loving and kind and generous. Don't, don't let fear stop you for demonstrating hospitality. All right, point number one, living out our faith means we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Point number two, living out our faith means we demonstrate hospitality to strangers. Here's the third point. Living out, our fear, living out our faith means that we demonstrate compassion to those who are suffering. Look at verse three. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who were mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. My friends, some pay, people pay a very steep price for their profession of faith. Many in the early church were imprisoned for their faith. Now, he, he says here the prisoners and the ill-treated. The author here really means those who are suffering because of their faith in Christ. He's not specifically referring to just criminals, although we should go to prisons and share the gospel with them. So I don't want to discourage you from that. But believers should remember that those who are suffering for the cause of Christ <clears throat> and express words of love and we should express acts of kindness toward them. He wants them to respond to them as if they too had been placed in confinement. He wants them to care for those who are suffering <coughs> excuse me, as they would for a wound that they had received on their own arm or their own leg. Because that's exactly what's happened. That's what he means when he says, since you also are in the body. He is reminding them that their connection to these imprisoned people is not just merely symbolic they are spiritual family and the connection is real yes it's spiritual but it's also real and what has happened to their brothers and sisters is happening to them that's how he wants them to feel about it just as surely as if someone had cut their own arm or leg with a knife or broken one of their own limbs we should no more ignore our brothers and sisters in that situation than you would ignore a wound to your own flesh Remember, Christians who suffer persecution requires thinking about their situation. Now we need to ask ourselves, how would I want to be treated if that happened to me? The point That's the point here. Since they and we are in the body together, he means it could happen to you. So treat those who are victims of persecution as you would want to be treated. Remember, in that day... Prisoners really depended on family and friends to bring them food and clothing. That's really how they were taken care of. The author is saying here, don't let, don't let them be out of sight and out of mind. Think about them and meet their needs. And then demonstrate compassion to them in the midst of their suffering. You know, one pastor tells of his shock when he visited the home of a Christian woman who told him of an incident that had happened the night before. She said one of her neighbors had come to her in great distress and asked for some help in in a temporary crisis in her life. And the Christian woman told the pastor, I don't know what I'm going to do. I moved here to get away from these kind of people. And if this woman just keeps coming over to my house, I'm going to have to find another home. Well, the pastor was shocked at the lack of compassion and love. Unfortunately, that woman's attitude is not all that uncommon among professing Christians. And she missed a great opportunity to bear witness for Christ. We often dodge these opportunities to show Christ's love to others in the family of God. But instead, we must focus on loving our fellow believers, on being hospitable, on helping those who are suffering, especially those who are suffering for their faith in Christ. My friends, we are called to enter into their sufferings. You know, Galatians 6 tells us we're to come alongside, carry our brother's burdens. We're to, we're to help them. We're to, we're to see that they're suffering and come alongside them and, and help. And we should have a deliberate sense of being bound. And so when they're ill-treated, we feel as if we're ill-treated with them. Believers in the early church, they did extraordinary things for their brethren. I mean, going to the prison every day, bringing food, bringing clothing, bringing a warm blanket. They literally took care of them. We need to do what we can do to relieve those who are suffering, especially those who are suffering for their faith. Jesus willingly entered into our suffering, didn't he? He willingly entered in and took away our suffering. And that, he said, is what we need to do for our suffering brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to do for our suffering brothers in Christ in what he's done for us. Well, I'm going to close here now with Psalm 133, which reads, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. How do we do that, my friends? We do that by living on our faith as we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just some casual, uh, you know, casual kind of surface topical love, but we truly love them and want what's best for them. We're truly willing to put their needs ahead of our own. We're truly willing to be involved in their life, to come alongside and to help them. We care when they're hurting, we're hurting. When they're rejoicing, we're rejoicing. Secondly, living out our faith means that we demonstrate hospitality to strangers. We need, my friends, <clears throat> to demonstrate that type of love and compassion and hospitality to strangers, especially, again, those in the household of faith. And thirdly, we need to live living, living out our faith means that we demonstrate compassion to those who are suffering. There is all kinds of suffering that's going on much of the suffering that's going on is below the surface just because somebody looks good on the outside doesn't mean that they're not suffering inside but the only way that we'll know that is if we're willing to get in and be willing to be involved in their life i'm not talking about intruding into others lives i'm talking about loving one another being compassionate enough to care about each other and what's going on in their lives. There's a big difference there. Well, <clears throat> that's the first three verses. We're out of time here again this morning. Um, I'm going to ask that the Lord would just lay that upon your heart. You'd ponder, meditate on these things, fill your minds with these three first three truths here about compassion and about love, about hospitality, and about compassion again for those who are suffering. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord again for the truth of your word. Lord, we are moving quickly here in these last 25 verses. And we could have spent the whole day just on loving one another, and what that looks like in your word. Lord, we could have spent the whole morning on hospitality. We could have spent another whole morning on compassion for those who are suffering. But Lord, I pray that We already know through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the areas in which we are doing well of those three things and the areas where we need to do better. And so, Father, I'm going to ask if there's one here listening today, feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in any of these areas, that they would lay that at the foot of the cross. They would ask you, Lord, for your strength. They would ask, Lord, for your direction, that they would be obedient to your will. To love one another, to be hospitable, and to show great hospitality, especially to strangers and even more so to the, those we don't know who are in the household of faith. And then finally, Lord, that we would show compassion to those who are suffering all around us. Give us eyes to see that, Lord. Give us a heart that's willing to move in and be involved and love one another the way that you have loved us. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. May you be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everyone.